Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes and Friends, the podcast where we look at music inside and out with friends. My name's Noah, you probably know me as Polyphonic. I'm Corey, you probably know me as Twelve Tone, and today, as always, we're joined by a qualified medical professional. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi everybody, Uh, my name's Rohan. I'm a cardiologist by day job, but um, also have a YouTube channel called Medlife Crisis, where I talk about medical things, but uh, nothing too serious. <laughs> <laughs> because being a doctor isn't isn't enough hard work and busyness, you decide to have a YouTube channel on the side. Well, honestly, it's keeping me sane. You know, it's nice to have this creative outlet. So, uh, no, I really appreciate yeah. it, actually. And uh, yeah, do you want to tell us what you wanted to talk about today? Right. Well, I guess, you know, the overarching theme would be rhythm. And I've kind of already maybe hinted at why I'm interested in this in the form of my job. Uh, you know, obviously, as a heart specialist, the heart is this essentially this kind of metronome that's continuously ticking our whole lives. And I've become really interested in the interplay between the heart and physiology. So just, you know, processes happening inside the body and music, but specifically kind of concentrating on on rhythm. I'm sure both of you will be much more familiar than me with a lot of the research that's been done in psychology and neuroscience and the effects of music, an expert in neither of those fields. So (laughs) I'm kind of more focusing on the sort of physical effects and particularly focusing on, on the cardiovascular system. But I've become more interested in this recently because I've got two young kids. I've been very interested in figuring out when humans develop their sense of rhythm and when human beings in general developed our sense of rhythm as as a species and sort of looking at the evolutionary origins of of rhythm and yeah i guess music to a wider extent as well so it's a bit of a nebulous topic but I, you know there's lots of interesting stuff that i'm sure we can get into fitting for a nebula podcast a hey. exactly yeah <laughs> boo i was thinking it too one one of the things that like I think you touched upon that's really interesting is kind of the the thought of when did humans develop rhythm because as you said kind of rhythm and music like generally from my understanding rhythm is kind of what all music is sort of birthed from as far as we understand like generally I think I guess there are like old like paleolithic flutes and stuff like that but it seems like it seems like yeah. drums were kind of the first instrument which makes a lot of logical sense because anything's a drum if you bang on it. Certainly the easiest instruments to build. Modern drums take a lot of skill and there's specific craft that go, but like, like you said, you take a rock, you hit it on another rock, that's a percussion instrument. Yeah. I mean, exactly. So, you know, we will never know for definite, but I guess the human voice would have been the first instrument in in a way that, that we started yeah. using but without doubt percussion would have been the first sort of synthetic first external, um, yeah. for sure and i read somewhere that to this day the drum is the most commonly played instrument worldwide maybe in different forms but but uh, you know it continues to be a very yeah. central r- instrument in in music in general I, you know and I, I don't think we need to spend too much time on the fact that music is very central to human civilization i'm you know, I think I'm sure everyone yeah. takes that. As- I suspect Ghost Notes listeners will be willing to accept that premise. Yeah, <laughs> I just I do want to be a little careful about looking at the state of modern music and using that to make evolutionary predictions or not predictions because of looking backwards, but like uh, because a lot of traditions use drums. That is certainly true, but not all of these are not interconnected, and so. There, there are ways in which one tradition using drums could shape other traditions using drums. And so it's, I, I'm not, again, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that the drum was probably the first, or for some definition of drum, some sort of percussion instrument, probably some sort of idiophone. Sorry, I should define that term. Idiophone is a solid object that vibrates. Um, so you think of like a wood block or something, hmm. as opposed to like a membranophone, which is like a you know, a kick drum or whatever that has a, a, just a membrane that you hit. Right. Uh, or other types of instruments. I just shouldn't bust out fancy SAT words without explaining what they mean. Well, I'm learning. I would be pretty surprised if the first musical instruments were not just, you know, some variation of rocks hitting other rocks or bones hitting rocks or something like that, or wood, or I don't know the exact material, but something like that. I get a little bit like when when we're looking at, oh, all of these, a lot of people around the world play drums. It gets a little bit like 
because a lot of people around the world are influenced by Western popular music. I think you can look at a lot of uh, like folk traditions that have had a sort of contiguous uh, evolution pre kind of 20th century. And you see in a lot of like everywhere from, you know, you see kind of like traditional Celtic drumming, you see indigenous North American drumming, you see traditional drum forms in China, stuff like that. Yeah, I I definitely see the point that you're saying. But yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that the the fact that a lot of traditions use drums doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I just like, you know, want to be cognizant of the boundaries of extrapolating from that information. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I to- totally uh, taken on board. So maybe I'll make it a, just a wider sort of term of percussion. And so yeah, yeah, whenever uh, that was, but the question that started me down this kind of path was this this tendency to generate music with percussion instruments that that uh, evolved earlier on clearly seems very you know integral to us developing as a species and there's again as i said i'm not an expert but a lot of research that yeah. i've read sort of suggesting that um you know music played this cohesive role in developing societies and so yeah. the question I, I i i sort of started with was where do we get this tendency to to want to generate rhythm and uh, thought was whether, uh, and it was inspired by a line I read, but also just kind of the job I do and, and also, I guess, to a lesser extent, sort of some of the uh, paraphernalia you get as a, a new parent, which I'll explain in a second. But it was, <laughs> there was a, a line in, in The Clockmaker's Daughter by Kate Morton, which is that the first music every human hears is the human heart. And so every child is born knowing the rhythm of their mother's song because you you listen to your mother's heart uh, throughout, you know, when you're in the womb. And so I wondered if this kind of imprinted something, and this is all just speculation, but clearly I wasn't the first to think of this. And so that's kind of what sent me down the rabbit hole to begin with of whether, you know, rhythm is for want of a better phrase, in our DNA and how it affects our, our, our day-to-day life and particularly how it affects our interpretation and sort of uh, reception to, to music. This has led to all kinds of different sort of avenues, but there's a big area of, of research. I don't know if you want to start with any, any bit in particular, but um, sort of looking at how music affects the heart and how the, how the heart affects music. Uh, so I can kind of start there if, you, if yeah. you want. I mean, yeah. like Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I think this is probably something that you've done a lot more reading about than I have, certainly. And I, I don't, don't want to speak for Noah. But yeah, no, I certainly I would haven't. <laughs> definitely be interested to hear in like what you've been, yeah. what you found on this. Sure, yeah. I mean, so I think the first thing to say is in, in biology, you know, rhythm is is everywhere. So, you know, we talk about circadian, yep. circadian rhythms and seasonal rhythms. And, and I mean, this has led a lot of people, if you want to get sort of metaphysical through, through history, you know, Plato used to talk about the sort of cosmic rhythms and, and the planets and things like that. So there seems to be a tendency in nature to, for these kind of to and fro rhythms. But when we're talking about the frequency more akin to music, then there are biological processes that humans do, which which are of the same kind of order of magnitude, and that's speech. And you know, when we're considering babies, the the first actions that they tend to do, so suckling, is a very rhythmic oh, um, yeah. action as well. And of course, just walking around. So these all are yeah. similar kinds of frequencies. So in in sort of biology, coming more uh, into a more modern era, Darwin. Uh, sort of postulated that that there was this intrinsic tendency for nature to to adopt rhythms, and it was thought for a long time that um, the evolution of of rhythm um, had something to do with complex vocalization. So, because the species that we'd observed rhythm were sort of the 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 primates and well, great apes specifically, sort of bonobos and chimps, and um, then some birds which could mimic human speech, so have got sort of quite advanced vocalization, elephants and cetaceans, so whales and dolphins. Um, but then I, I found a, a video on online from some research a little while ago of a sea lion um, that had, uh, you know, quite 
I, I, I don't think it was like one of those dancing dog videos where that you just kind of, yeah, it's kind of vaguely fitting the beat. They clearly yeah. were at nodding their head to Earth, Wind and Fire, Boogie Wonderland. And um, <laughs> and it's a fantastic video. Like, and That's it, amazing. And this sea line's really... Yeah, you've got to look it up. It's it's not got that many views, but I'll send you the link afterwards. And then the other song that they had in the clip was uh, Backstreet's Back. So, you know, I think we can all agree there's some inspired music choices there. <laughs> you know, there seems to be rhythm in, in the animal kingdom as well. Whether is this, you know, related to, to the heart in any way? And, you know, there's obviously loads of popular culture talking about the heart being central to emotion and things like yeah. that. And as we've moved into understanding the brain more and, you know, much to my annoyance, I have to concede that the brain probably is more important for a lot of those things. But you don't have to concede that. Well, well I also I think you don't have any brain doctors on the podcast right now. <laughs> when you're looking at something like this, it's kind of hard to isolate the two because like we don't have any experience of a brain that does that functions and doesn't have a heartbeat and a rhythm right so it's kind of it's hard to isolate the two like maybe if we had just a floating brain in a jar that we could poke and prod and ask what do you think about music thankfully uh no brain is being subjected to that right now yeah that probably wouldn't get past an ethics yeah board, i'm pretty sure i know such party poopers aren't they <laughs> but you're exactly right that you can't consider any of these things individually. And that's that's the whole point, is that there is this incredible two-way communication between the heart and the brain. And, and that is exactly what, what we think is why we perceive music in this sort of emotional way. And it's thought yeah. that, that it's actually a lot of signals going back and forth between the brain. So... These are so sort of coming on to, to, to the specifics things. Now, a lot of the, the research in this field is done by very, very smart people who tend to be all classically, Western classically trained. So it tends to really focus on Western classical music, which which is fine as a starting point. But it, I'll just give that sort of yeah. proviso Important, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've found these absolutely fascinating things. And, and, and one of the cardiologists involved is, is someone I, I know. And... They've sort of studied choirs uh, that will synchronize their, um, not only their breathing, obviously that may be related just to what they're singing, but when they've tried to uh, negate that, they've still found that the heart rate and heart rate variability, which is the sort of variation between, uh, between heartbeats, synchronizes in groups of trained singers, but then they also did it in untrained singers as well. So it didn't seem to be anything to do with sort of musical training. Uh, and they found that they, these same physiological processes started to synchronize then in patients with pacemakers. So this is where the internal pacemaker of the heart has failed. So they've got an external device, as in it's internal, but it's it's an uh, artificial device pacing the heart, which they liken to a, a sort of a click track um, because it's much more regular than, than your normal heart would be. They still found that the electrical activity in the heart was affected by the music that they were listening to. So the action potentials, which are, you know, how, how the, the muscle sort of activates, um, uh, not only responded to music, but even to sort of, sort of emotional scenes in movies and things like that. And that the hypothesis is that this is the origin of sort of why music has this tremendous emotional power over humans. This is, I find, slightly more speculative, but I, I don't know enough about music theory to really sort of comment <laughs> on, on some of the things that um, this particular researcher, who's done an amazing body of work, Elaine Chu, um, you can you can check out some of her stuff. She's a, a doubly qualified computer scientist, engineer, and concert pianist. And um, she's done a lot of work sort of mapping music to heart rhythms. Stuff like the opening of Beethoven's Fifth maps exactly to a t typical rhythm of, of a common arrhythmia, the da-da-da-da. And that's yeah. what, what the heart often does when you have something called ventricular ectopic beats. And so there are these um, speculations that Beethoven maybe was you know, had this arrhythmia and via an interoception process, which is how we how we sort of detect things happening inside the body subconsciously, maybe was um, mapping his arrhythmia into his music. And then she's come up with lots of different examples of this. And, uh, you know, I don't know, but 
you know, it seems to it seems to check out. I would be like a little suspicious of like that, but uh, just because there are so many other factors, it, it I'm not saying that that's not anything, but like one thing that this makes me think of, I don't necessarily know what to do with this observation, <laughs> but just sort of reminded me of this is a while back you did a video on uh, rhythm and the heart. I helped transcribe some heartbeats for you, right? And one thing that I remember very specifically from that, and you can correct me if I'm misremembering, but I'm pretty sure I'm not, is that the basic healthy heartbeat was in 3-4. That's true, yeah. And yeah, the time signature can can change. Right. I don't know if I could say for definite, because there, there are healthy people who will have a 4-4 a time signature. So so I'm not sure you could say it's specifically in, in that. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, I just remember being surprised by that. Uh, but yeah. yeah. But no, that, that's a fair point. Well, I think it's interesting because I think, yeah, I, I don't know how to take the, I think that Beethoven thing is really, it's really neat. What I'm kind of interested in it in with Rhythm and the Heart and this kind of stuff is it's a cool thought process to wonder if somebody kind of subconsciously did this thing. But like, I can tell you that, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I can be pretty confident, you know, in telling you that there are things that Beethoven or really anyone did in their music that, you know, is consciously trying to raise or slow yeah. the heart rate or or that those sorts of things. Like, that's something that I find, I find very interesting Definitely. where, yeah. like, the idea of, you know, increasing tempo is built around the idea of creating that sort of exhilarating feeling that you get when I mean I guess in like a biological sense it's usually you know when you're running or there's something intense happening and you get the increased blood flow but what's really interesting is kind of culturally using that biological process and kind of almost like I I feel like a lot of music uh, a lot of the really amazing emotional impacts of music come from almost like biohacking right like people almost trying to exploit <laughs> that natural rhythm and be like oh let's play around with this and with how you know your body associates different tempos depending on what you're doing physically exactly and and that's that's very much um sort of mentioned in, in a lot of these these papers that music is you know designed in in uh, some cases obviously to to do exactly that to change your physiology uh, which itself I, I found a, a really interesting thing that I guess I hadn't really stopped to think about it before that um, you know why do we interpret sort of fast music to be tense or uh, sort of you know have some sort of suspense um, is it just because you know we're interpreting something fast as being a bit frantic or is it really you know trying to have a, a direct effect on our, our own physiology and trying to speed up and activate the sympathetic nervous system and make us a bit more fight fright flight um and then of course you know when it slows down the opposite and and, and this was something that they found um there's uh something called a, a, a mayo wave which is uh, a slightly slower period of an oscillation in, in the cardiovascular system, which is about 10 seconds in duration, which is the natural ebb and flow of your blood pressure. And, and so that varies with a slightly slower waveform than your heart. Yeah. Then when they played Verdi arias, where the phrase length was about 10 seconds, they found that they could affect blood pressure uh, quite reliably and, and increase and decrease it uh, in some of these as well. That also like that makes me think of, you know, like I know a lot of people use ambient music to help them like study or fall asleep. And I feel like there's a, a similar kind of physiological response happening there where this mellow, calm music is physically calming you out and, you know, allowing you to focus. If we want to talk about sort of physiological effects of music on the body, then I think it's also worth recognizing that in a lot of traditions, listening to music is a physical action, yes. right? Like this is one of the problems with focusing on Western classical music is that it's one of the few musical traditions in the world that really doesn't dance. Except it does dance. Mm. We just don't Performers anymore. will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, well, yeah. The way we use it today you will have performers dancing in a ballet maybe, but like you as an audience member sit there. Yeah, yeah. But like if you go to a punk show, the fast tempos get your heart rate up, not just because fast tempos increase your heart rate, 
but because you're moving very quickly to the fast tempos. Yeah. And that's physical ex- and physical exercise, physical exertion, which, I mean, Rowan can confirm or deny, but I'm pretty sure physical exertion increases your heart rate sometimes. I'm not Sounds a heart fake. doctor, so I don't know these things. But <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the, the issues with focusing on Western classical music is that dance for so many people and in so many cultures is so intrinsically tied to the experience of listening to music. You sort of... By by focusing on this one very passive listening tradition, you sort of disembody the practice of listening to music in a way that isn't necessarily, certainly if we want to talk about sort of evolutionary practices, how, how we got to here, it seems very likely to me that most early musical traditions involved dance. I, I, I think that's a, a very good point and, and a great segue into sort of one of the other things I, w- I was going to talk about, uh, about, you know, sort of why I'm interested in this. Um, but before I, I say that, I'll just quickly respond to, to, to Noah's thing about um, the sort of physiology, because that is very much a, um, a focus of music therapy um, uh, in sort of cardiac rehabilitation, because music, you know, can reduce oxygen demand, sort of relaxing music. Uh, it's been shown to, to, to do that. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's, common sense as you said people just feel better when they listen to, to relaxing yeah. calming music but on the on the subject of dancing the reason i thought that was uh, a good segue is because the other sort of main interest i had in this is that both my my wife and i um are from a dancing background and i guess i naively kind of assumed that my kids would just have an innate sense of rhythm and yeah it's been a, a little, I don't, I don't know where, you know, you see all these videos of kind of musical prodigies. I, I'm not that I'm comparing my kids. I'm not one of those Indian parents that, that does that. But um, uh, I, I did sort of wonder, like, when will my, my eldest is six, um, you know, he, he developed that kind of sense of rhythm. And I, since suggesting this to you uh, as a topic a little while ago to now, actually, it seems to just have clicked and oh. again, it was earth, wind, it was earth, wind and fire again. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, that makes sense. If you're going to learn rhythm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny. Well, disco is actually, it's, it's interesting that uh, earth, wind and fire has such an impact because disco is like, I think part of the reason why disco was such a phenomenon and why di- disco is very easy to dance to is like the structure of disco is very well designed for dancing because it's got the four to the floor. So you're always able to Mm. keep time, but then it's also on top, got a whole lot of syncopation and syncopation is a lot of what makes you want to dance a lot of the time. So disco is actually this kind of perfect melding of, you know, it's very easy to keep time to because there is stress like on every beat in a very straight meter. uh, And then it's yeah. encourage it encourages movement by having over top of this foundation a lot of you know kind of groovier more syncopated stuff so i i don't think it's uh i don't think it's a coincidence that earth wind and fire you know made it stick like i think there's something about disco music and a lot of that uh, a lot of that era yeah. that is very it 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 can teach rhythm in a way yeah disco and like especially like I mean, disco and funk, you mm, see this yeah. in the drums a lot. Like this is a thing that I, I've tried to stress in videos where I talk about disco and funk music is that like you think of these genres as being all about syncopation. Like you think of all these cool offbeats and all the 16th note stuff and it's like, oh, that's really interesting rhythms. But like, you know, the reason it doesn't sound like prog metal or something like that where you just everything is really complicated and hard to track all the time is because... At the foundation, you have these really solid drums that are not only doing the four on the floor thing, which is which is extremely important, but also have these other layers of sort of instructing you on rhythm with like the strong backbeat snare and, and those like the offbeat hi-hat emphasis and the yeah with that that's sort of telling you like these are the these are the kicks this these are the quarter notes this is the backbeat these are the eighth notes everything that you're hearing should be heard in relation to that. And it makes it very easy to relate to these much more complicated rhythms than if your drummer is like, you know, Neil Peart or like Mike Portnoy or someone who's <laughs> doing really complicated things too. Yeah, and and um, agreed. I mean, I think disco, I think that's why I've always quite liked it for, for exactly that reason. Uh, interestingly, it, I mean, it was actually your video, Noah, that, that led us down this path because you'd made oh, one yeah. on Earth, Wind and Fire Day. yeah. And then <laughs> I played my son our wedding video, which 
it was fantasy as the which is actually less an obvious one yeah. to have a rhythm to but that's when it seemed to just click so sort of made me think you know we talk about so and so has a sense of rhythm or that person can't dance so they yeah. don't have any rhythm but is that actually an accurate depiction of what rhythm is and going by what the sort of uh, people in researching phonics and phonetics and and um uh, language uh would say it isn't that you know that's just that's dancing and that's that's huh. a manifestation yeah but to be able to communicate effectively involves a lot of actual intrinsic rhythm you know and speech its cadence and um flow is rhythm and 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 that is a skill that humans have and that's what's allowed us to to have this kind of sophisticated form of communication and when people so this is you know my my brother has um severe intellectual disability and uh, autism and the verbal ability when you know there's a, a developmental disorder is often you know very significant um and there's been some research to suggest this may be because they are lacking that ability to to sort of form that rhythmic vocalization huh. so you know it's it's uh, and there's one uh, really interesting tidbit of of rhythm related to the brain that i i always like to tell people which is in parkinson's disease which obviously is not a developmental thing that's something acquired later on yeah. Um, the, one of the main problems is is movement. So you know, generating movement. So you know, people think of it as as shaking, but actually, a lot of that is often due to to the therapy. But if untreated Parkinson's, often people just don't aren't able to move much at all. But rhythm seems to be really helpful for some reasons we don't understand. So there are these incredible videos of patients with Parkinson's where as soon as they start playing music they can they can move much more freely and uh, there's a, another sort of analogy with i don't know if you've seen the the king's speech where it's all about having a, a stutter yeah. and again yeah. rhythm is used you know to to try and um help people get over that kind of problem so there's there seems to be something in the brain that responds to this are you familiar with the musician scatman john <laughs> sure because you you just completely reminded me of him uh he was a because of the way most famously <laughs> <laughs> his big hit song was uh i'm the scatman you know squee ba 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 da bum that yeah. one uh in the 90s if you listen to the lyrics of the song if you if you look at like his life story what happened is that like he had a really intense stutter. Oh, uh, he was he was a really know. talented jazz pianist and but he had a really intense stutter and so he would never like speak on stage or sing or anything. And eventually people like eventually his friends got him to start scatting, I believe. And he found that when he did that, he didn't stutter. Mm. And it actually one of the lyrics in I'm the Scat Man, if I'm remembering this uh correctly, is everyone who says the scat man uh he stutters, but he Basically, he he, he says that he explicitly says like I don't stutter when I sing. Yeah, uh, and the song is meant for him. Like if you listen to lyrics, it's an inspiration for. It's meant as an inspiration for people who stutter to like give this a shot, try this, see if it helps. And so, I just sorry, like you you reminded me of like that very specific pop cultural. Yeah, piece. I didn't know the back backstory. Unrelated. Listen to the entire Scatman's World album. It is amazing. Uh it's an experience, but it's it's great. Highly recommend. On Nebula, Todd in the Shadows has a great one-hit wonderland on him. That's fantastic. W yeah. What I was going to say is, like, I think it's interesting because, um, like, you, we're, we're talking about it in these kind of, like, in these issues with, uh, you know, developmental difficulties and things like that. But there's also just, like, like in regular human activity, rhythm helps people so often where, you know, like... If you're like going for a run and you're like really tired at the end, you'll, you know, mm. kind of try to or at least I know I will when I'm cycling kind of like dial into rhythm or exercise. And, you know, that makes sense from kind of if you look way back from like, you know, physically the physically demanding nature of just life in, you know, prehistory. I think that there's a lot of 
really interesting kind of aspects to that where just the number of things that are kind of natural human processes that involve rhythm, like even down to like chewing, right? Like to get nutrients, it's and especially like a long time ago before, uh, you know, we had so many, you know, like sophisticated ways of uh, you know, cooking stuff and things like that, like most of a human's day would be spent, you know, chewing these complex grains. And that's something, again, that's very rhythmic. And I mean, even sex is a very rhythmic thing. Yeah. Speaking of which, just remind me of uh, Adam Neely's recent video as of this recording anyway. Uh, it'll be a couple months old by the time anyone hears this. But uh, this is one of the things he talked about where sort of one of the theories for the development of dance and why we dance is that Dancing is a very explicit demonstration of coordination and balance, which are sort of ways of showing to a potential mate that your brain works, huh. that you have these sorts of basic skills that you can coordinate your body physically to do these tasks, that you can maintain balance, that you can do all these things in complex situations that demonstrate potential viability as a mate who can produce good offspring. Oh, I yeah, haven't heard that one. Getting into the evolutionary stuff, a lot of this is guessing, but I thought it was a very interesting possibility. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly read, and again, you know, I don't want to sort of speak about things I, I don't, well, I mean, a lot of things no. I've spoken about, I don't know much about, but, <laughs> but uh, I don't want to go too far. But I, I, there was a guy, I think his name was Demetrius Zigalatas. It was it was a difficult name to remember. So so he's in Texas maybe, and he's done. He's just published a book, uh, which I had read a little synopsis and listened to an interview. Um, so I haven't haven't read the full thing, but it's all about. Uh, I think the book's got a, a great sort of subtitle, like the uh, apparently meaningless rituals and and their their significance to to human sort of evolution, and focuses a lot on group rhythmic activities. Um, yeah. And um, the story, you know, goes that uh, when Pythagoras first, uh, you know, ha had this idea about cosmic rhythms, he, it was a, a blacksmith's hammer that he heard and then yeah. started realizing all these kind of um, activities that humans do with this, this kind of yeah, the shared... harmonics, I believe, was... My recollection of this story was that that was a big part of it. But anyway, go on. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And so he was looking at through the the, the lens of festivals um, yeah. and sort of mass rhythmic activities. And and again, you know, I I, um, I haven't um, seen all, all the details, but but it it just seems to have this very primal important role in in kind of bonding of of yeah. human of human cultures yeah i mean group group entrainment builds group identity and can form bonds between people a lot faster than just talking through your dis uh, differences can and that's you know something we see today but go ahead yeah like anecdotally you just you talk to people about you know going to concerts you know there is this sort of people will talk about it as this almost like magical sensation a lot of the time, right? Uh, of yeah. just kind of the feeling of, you know, being in a group of people all moving at the same time, being in a crowd. There is something very primal there that's, I think, encoded yeah. into culture in a lot of ways because of that. Yeah, this is something I sort of talked about a bit in a video I did a little while back about um, volume in metal and sort of the aesthetic value of playing very loudly. And part of that is that, at very high volumes, people report sensations of disassociating from their own bodies and becoming a part of And so you, you, you do get people sort of becoming a part of that group. And a lot of what you're getting from those very loud sounds is rhythm. You can feel that in your chest in a way that like, you're not necessarily processing precise pitch information at 140 decibels. That's, you know, very hard to do. But like you get uh, you can feel like, you know, the boom. Boom, 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 whatever it is, like you can feel that vibrating in your chest and you know that everyone else around you is feeling it as well in exactly the same way. And it sort of breaks down a lot of those conceptual barriers between you and the crowd. And that, that's a lot of the explicit goal of a lot of uh, naturally, like a lot of dance music, especially a lot of EDM too, right? And you see that kind mm -hmm. of encoded yeah. not just in the music and in the concerts, but in everything culturally about a lot of dance music is very much built kind of 
again, being birthed out of disco and out of the kind of hippie hedonism is is about, you know, you know, plur like peace, love, unity and this kind of like everything. Everyone's kind of got this communal aesthetic that it's about people coming together. And that's that's something that, uh, you know, is a big part of dance music culture. Another aspect, this is kind of just an elaboration on the stuff we were talking about, but something that I thought was very interesting in these kind of just the more I think about these natural rhythmic processes is also um, in cooking and in preparing food. Like, you know, even on a, on a more, on a more base level, there's like, like threshing wheat, uh, you know, yeah, that is an incredibly, incredibly rhythmic thing. And because of that, like the, all, all of this sort of, you know, labor and cooking and stuff like this, this is all reflected culturally in work songs, you know, which uh, when we look at when we look at the the basis of, you know, Western popular music right now, it, it, it's entirely based on work songs. It's based very heavily on the blues. Yeah. And the blues uh, is just is based on traditional work songs. And that's another interesting aspect where that's something that, again, is just kind of so culturally encoded that, you know, it can it can almost seem to be invisible sometimes because it is just such a, you know, root part of our common understandings of music. At an even more fundamental level, like we can list a lot of examples of things that humans do rhythmically and that therefore are useful to entrain to music. But I think sort of the core issue to a lot of that is that in most cases for most activities, rhythm is just optimal. Yeah. Like that's true. There's just a set amount of time that an action needs to take and there's no reason to vary that. And so it's not even necessarily that, you know, where this activity happens to be a very rhythmic activity. And so it's useful for, you know, to entrain to music. It's just, this is an activity. Activities are generally rhythmic. Yeah. And so at, at a very basic level, having a sense of rhythm is just, it's such a useful thing for so many aspects of being, not even being a human, but being an organism. And like, taking actions that affect the world like and you know not everything but it's just there's there's a reason we can list so many examples of things that are done rhythmically it's just like you'd need a really good reason for it to not be true like you know sandworms or something that's interesting because you know it begs the question of and i i am not at all qualified to talk about this but is there some kind of you know evolutionary function of the way that the heartbeat evolved as a rhythm if rhythms are so useful or is that like like how does that you know play into yeah. this stuff it's 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 an interesting thought yeah exactly and and it's it's one that I, I don't feel has been you know fully answered maybe maybe we can't fully answer it but there are some really interesting circumstantial evidence that you could you could suggest so there are patients who have an artificial heart put in and for many years we tried to copy the 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 way the heart works with artificial hearts um but pumping is extremely difficult in a, in a kind of compressive device you know it just had all yeah. kinds of complications and don't need to go into all of them but um it was it, we realized that actually a much simpler setup was a, an archimedes screw so it's basically an impeller inside Ooh. um inside a little uh, either a uh, centrifugal pump or or just inside a tube so it's basically a little screw that turns at sort of 5 7000 uh, rpm 10000 rpm and just sends blood through in a continuous flow and so these patients have no pulse and Whoa. i was tricked when i was a new doctor my boss said go and examine this patient and uh, and i couldn't <laughs> feel a pulse and and i had to come back and and, and and question whether I should have graduated medical school because I thought I, I, I didn't know how to feel a pulse. That is a great prank. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think you must have done it. Like the patient clearly was in on it. They loved it. Yeah. If I didn't have a pulse, I would pull that on everyone. All the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah we great. Um, I, unfortunately, I hadn't gone through all these thought processes and I didn't sort of question them on their musical taste. But um, we do know that the biology doesn't work. 
with a continuous flow. The human body seems to not like it. And there seems to be, you know, an intrinsic need for this kind of pulsatile flow. All kinds of unexpected things started happening. Patients would bleed much more and blood vessels would change. So, you know, we are designed, I mean, that makes sense, obviously. We've evolved yeah. in this way, so it's, it's, it's artificial. But um, when patients go out of a normal heart rhythm, I do wonder, you know, whether that does change their taste in music, whether they, you know, start feeling music in a different way. And while this particular researcher that I mentioned earlier has asked this exact question in some of the stuff she's written, I don't, I, I never actually got an answer from any of it. I think it's more just kind of, we, we gathered this data, it was yeah. interesting. Um, so I still can't tell you if that does affect it in that direction. I imagine an interesting thing, an interesting place to look at that would be like, uh, I wonder if you could map that to music tastes according to age, because your heartbeat, like the pace of it changes depending on what age you are, right? Uh, people have said, said this and, and your heart rate does tend to slow down. But the big confounder here is that it's just, you know, cultural, yeah. you know. Yeah, your grandmother yeah. would have grown up listening to different music. So, so I think that's yeah. really hard to interpret that stuff because there's there's this big confounder. But yes, people have claimed that. I mean, kids, you know, like sometimes listening to fast music. But just like you guys were talking about quite recently about you know children's music and um, uh, Tantacrol as well. I think you know is that we I think we treat kids in a a bit of a funny way when it comes to music and yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, you know why. Should there be a special sort of thing of children's music? I thought that point you, you guys made about, um, you know, children's music not being consumed by adult, but other art forms can be applicable to, to all ages. I thought it was really interesting. I don't know. You know, maybe we are projecting onto kids what we think they should be listening to. If, if we want to look at like, you know, people who have like, you know, their, their heartbeat replaced with a constant pulse and whether that changes their taste in music, I would be personally a little, like, again, I, I don't want to speak as if I have done any research on this, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to come across as an expert. I'm just a doofus with half a podcast, <laughs> one third of a podcast right now. Uh, but like, uh, but it, it would surprise me just because like, even if like we accept, which does make a fair amount of sense to me that like the rhythm of your heart is connected to the development of humans interest in music, which makes sense to me. Uh, at this point, there are just so many layers on top of it, culturally speaking. Like you were saying, where we look at like, you know, age and we, we can say, like, oh, maybe old people have slower heartbeats, but also old people grew up earlier in history and mm. therefore grew up around a different kind of music. Yeah. And so that sort of thing seems like it would be such a dominant presence on this that it would be hard to, it, and that, that's not to say that there would be no effect, but it feels like it would be hard to tease out that from these much louder factors and hard to find that that signal that says, oh, this was the change, you know? But again, I don't know yeah. what I'm talking about, so. <laughs> no, I think you're right. All of these things are so complex. You know, I think particularly when it comes to biology, uh, you know, it's, it's you can make predictions, you can think you figured out the mechanism and then you're always proven wrong. Yeah, I was actually, I was watching one of your old videos recently and the thing you said just reminded me of a joke you made in one of those uh, where you were, you just said, oh, this isn't actually physics. This is complicated. <laughs> so s similar sort of deal. Can't miss an opportunity to, to dunk on the other sciences. Oh, of course not. I mean, we're, we're in the humanities. We love dunking on all the sciences. So Almost as much as we love dunking on the humanities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something we, ha we haven't mentioned. I don't really consume much poetry, so it, it doesn't yeah. sort of spring to mind. But I guess, you know, when we were mentioning speech, um, there was this idea that the reason Shakespeare's uh, writing r remains, you know, so important in, in e English-speaking world, at least, yeah. is um, emotionally charged scenes is often when he went into iambic pentameter, and it's thought uh, that this is reflects. The, the the human heartbeat most closely. So in these scenes of high emotion, then it will mirror the heartbeat. And and so that was another interesting tid tidbit, I thought. Mm. Yeah, the sort of iambic pattern. I mean, 
Because that's, you know, one of the big things with like IMs versus trochees is that trochees tend to be, tro- sorry, IMs are da-da and trochees are da-da. And trochees, when you tend to have like trochaic meters, they're often read fairly straight, whereas IMs are more sort of swung, da-da, 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 was da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so, yeah. again, sort of leaving that that gap, like we were talking about with like, you know, hearts being in 3-4 or sometimes in 4-4, four, four, but there, there is... It's not a constant like dot 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 dot. There's sort of pairs of dot 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 dot. I mean, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting with the the top talk of like IMs and stuff like that because I was I was recently I actually bought a um, a Folkways record of uh, music from the Nootka. Um, it's Nootka music. Nootka are um, Pacific Northwest uh, Indigenous peoples. The kind of folk ways record had this whole document talking about the rhythms and it was talking about how a lot of musicologists struggled with figuring out what these kind of pacific northwest rhythms were doing until they realized uh actually like they were trying to kind of fit it into you know a traditional more western meter but in reality the rhythms were organized more with like rather than being in relation to a kind of like a a bar or a meter, they were in relation to the, you know, themselves in relation to the previous beats and just talking about this heartbeat stuff like that to me seems really interesting if we're looking at kind of like you know rhythms emulating heartbeats and what this musicologist said was they realized they began to think of it more as like i am's than you know and more like poetic meter than like you know western musical meter and i think that that's something that just yeah. this was just stirring around in my brain as we're talking about kind of heartbeats and rhythm that's something that's really interesting to me and there definitely is something to the music that is it's very kind of like a very pulsing kind of throbbing rhythm that does feel it feels like a heartbeat a lot of the time it's when you start talking about time signatures and things that's when i wish that i really knew some of this stuff a bit better that i could i could uh, really appreciate it because sometimes uh particularly your your videos Corey, like i'll be like okay i i, I didn't quite i didn't quite understand all that i liked it but uh, i don't know really what it's worth i feel that way about a lot of Corey's videos too i don't actually okay, that makes me feel a bit what better. is worth i feel that way about half of my videos <laughs> so. i don't have a ton of musical theory knowledge uh that that's kind of the the thrust of this podcast is that Corey has the yeah. theory knowledge and I have the cultural knowledge. I mean, Corey also has cultural knowledge, yeah. but he, well, they did just drop a let's whole, not give me too much a whole scat man biography earlier in this. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a very specific <laughs> cultural knowledge. Well, did we have uh, we've been going for almost an hour. Did you have any more kind of thoughts that we've missed that you or even just cool kind of things you've stumbled upon on your research that we haven't had a chance to to mention yet? I mean, I think I think we've covered, um, I, I adjusted a few things down, but I think I think we'd uh, covered most of them, really. You know, I, I, I think, yeah, we had a good good tour around different bits and pieces. I don't know if there's anything you guys wanted to cover or anything else you want to kind of end on. Uh, what music is best to listen to for cardiovascular health? One song. I want to listen to it on repeat yeah. all day so that I can be uh, kind of, you know, superhuman. Just be, yeah, become, yeah, Superman. Heart Superman. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I would have to. There's, um, you know, for CPR, uh, you've probably heard this, you know, that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. The, the the song that they recommend for for CPR is "Staying Alive" because it's the right uh, BPM. I have heard that. Yeah. yeah, but you know, so is an, so is another one bites the dust. Um, so that's what I like to to sing when I'm yeah. giving CPR. I feel like one of those is more optimistic than the other, given the outcome. Yeah, though. exactly. Yeah, I try. You know, it's a problem if the patient's family are listening to me, um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you can imagine the fun we have in, in the operating theater when because obviously we're all doing cardiac stuff because how many songs feature the heart? So, um, yeah, so we've got lots of uh, playlists yeah. about fixing bro- broken hearts and total eclipse, you know, of the heart. Um, Total Eclipse. Yeah. Well, that's been that's been rewritten with medical. Uh, of course, um, it has. <laughs> uh, it's, I sit in the dark listening to blips of the heart. Um, so there's a there's a cover version of that out there, which is very funny. 
it is worth noting, you know, with both Another One Bites the Dust and Staying Alive, what we were talking about earlier with disco, those are both disco songs, right? And uh, a lot of disco songs kind of have very similar BPMs to that. I mean, in, in the old days, when I first learned, it was Nelly the Elephant because that, that was the right speed for CPR and had the added bonus that two verses of Nelly the Elephant um, were, was exactly the right amount of beats before you stop compressions and give two breaths. Um, so I actually, you know, used to find that quite useful, although now we have changed how we do CPR. So we don't we don't advise people to yeah. give breaths anymore. So you can just be continuous. And I guess that was the switch then to uh, a disco classic instead. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I mean, it's also maybe this is something as as we're closing in on time. This is something for another time. But I'm it's so interesting to me, uh, like, like to think of, you know, you know, the the music that doctors use while doing their jobs to, you know, because, you know, it's the same as I'm like athletes will have, you know, pump up playlists to get them going. And I guess this does tie into everything we're talking about, the but about the physical uh, experiences. But, you know, like, yeah, like surgeons listening to music and people using music. That's I, I think that stuff is so interesting um, conceptually. So I'm quite fond of bossa nova when uh. I'm operating that's huh. uh, that's uh what i've got i've got a, a few um cath lab playlists but you know obviously just the usual stuff. a lot of the time my patients are awake interesting because it's very rhythmically complex for the actual procedural stuff it it's not so so rhythmic yeah no. um yeah. but but a lot of the time my patients are awake so i i just end up asking them what they want to listen to yeah that's fair well Thank you so much for coming on. This has given me a lot to think about. This has been a, a really, really cool perspective that's very different than anything we've had on the show so far. So thank you for coming on. Not at all. Thank you very much. I, I, you know, like I was saying to you guys, I think before we started recording, I was, I was just very excited to be talking about something totally different. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a re really enjoyable <laughs> conversation. I, I, I don't know if I've convinced you that, um, you know, like, Wordsworth talked about music of the heart, but I think maybe the the philosophers of delight said it best that uh, that groove is in the heart. Yes. So I don't know if um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've convinced you of that. You've definitely given us a lot to think about. I mean, I'm a music theorist. I'm never convinced yeah. of anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, if people want to find you and you know watch your stuff, uh, where should they look? Well, I'm you know on Nebula and uh, YouTube. Uh, the channel's called Medlife Crisis. Those are, those are the main ones. I've got you know the usual other social media accounts, but um, uh, most of my videos are uh, on YouTube. And I talk about um, some stuff kind of like this, a little sort of tangentially related to medicine. But otherwise, I I try and combine bad puns and jokes with um, with medical science and have very varying degrees of success so you can check me out there <laughs> awesome well thanks so much for coming uh you know where to find Corey and i yeah it's, it's not hard just the internet just shout into the void then and and we'll yeah. show up and tell you that music is bad yeah if you stare into the void beware that noah stares back <laughs> into you what's going on <laughs> uh, all right Bye. Thank you for listening. But yeah, thanks for coming. And this was great. And goodbye. <laughs> thanks a lot. Bye.